All right, good morning. Glad to be here with you all today. Um, we're going to be in Matthew 13 uh, for, the re- for most of the morning. Uh, but right now, I just want to acknowledge the time of year it is. It's the parents' favorite time of year, the kids' least favorite time of year. It is back to school. Um, I loved, uh, you know, school kind of. I really like to send my kids off to school. So, but if you're going back to school or you're a teacher or you're a staff or you're anywhere involved within the schools whatsoever, could you wave to us? Can you, can you do that? Let's all clap for these people because <laughs> they are MVPs for real. Um, I, I get to spend a lot of time over at Bayside High School. I substitute teach there. I work with some of the athletic programs over there and it's a grind. I will tell you it's a grind. Both my parents were teachers growing up uh, for about 34, 35 years each. It is crazy the time and dedication teachers put into making sure their students and classes are taken care of. So I want to say a quick prayer for all the teachers, staff, and everybody going back to school, but also a prayer for our kids. Uh, Don't pay attention to these yet. I'll get to them in a second, okay? Uh, But these also have to do with what we're talking about today. So let's pray. God, I thank you for um, everybody in here that's somewhat involved with the school, whether they're a teacher, a staff member, or a student. God, I just want to pray a special blessing over them as they return back to school. Uh, The the, the school year can be a grind, and I know that some days it's it's harder harder than others to get up and get to going, but I just pray a spirit of peacefulness over them, that they can be a beacon of light into this world that is just so filled with darkness, God. Help them to be bearers of your name so that people know you through their actions day to day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for all that you do. Um, Really, really special. Uh, So today we're going to be in Matthew 13, like I said, and we're going to be talking about treasure. And spoiler, I I did talk a little bit about this uh, at kids' camp. I don't know if we have any kids that were at kids' camp with us. They might be over there. But kids' camp was awesome. I have a few photos I want to share from kids' camp of our kids. Uh, That's Madeline and Sophia there in the back of the hayride. And typically, hay rides are slow, not this one. This one was almost dangerously fast, okay? Uh, we got uh, Emmeline back here at the end of the zip line. If you've never been to CFBC, it's the second longest in all of Florida. It's only 100 feet short of being the longest. Some random other camp took over that title from us a few years back. Uh, here's my son on the tide slide. My knees still hurt from this tide slide. What they do is they take billboards and they flip them over put soap on them, and you go very fast. Uh, But this last picture is my favorite picture right here. Uh, This is Dallin next to a deer, a a real live deer. This is not a statue. This is not one of those archery practice targets. A literal deer would come up and just want to be your friend. And if you don't know Dallin, this is kind of a big deal. He looked me straight in the face and said, can you please take my picture with this deer? It is crazy, but yeah, so this deer was just hanging around camp, uh, it was really, really fun. Uh, I highly encourage anybody who's never been out to CFPC, come talk to me about CFPC. We want more of our kids out there at that camp. I think Jesus does a whole lot of great stuff at that camp. It's a magical place, not because of anything in particular, but because of the people who come and the great things that happen there. And you can maybe pet a deer. I tell you, just really quick, this deer, like, I was drinking my coffee, and the ice went down, and the deer looked at me and started running towards me, and my, my life flashed before my eyes. Like, I don't know what this deer is capable of, okay? There's no horns. It's pretty nice, but in that moment, I was scared. But yes, so our theme for Kids Camp was all about treasures, and I'm going to read this one more time, and this is going to be like our touchstone back. We're going to keep coming back. 
this, I never think it's a bad idea to reread scripture. Uh, so this is going to be Matthew 13, 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. And at kids camp, we had a lot of fun. We had treasure you know, all around. We had a box maze that was the end of it. It was like, you know, finding treasure and all these things. And when I would read this with the kids, I would make the kids yell treasure every time they came up and scream. I'm not going to make you yell this morning. But the kids really had a good time. But for some reason, this kind of kept coming back to me in my mind. This idea of treasure. And so we're going to talk a little bit about this morning. But I think in order to have this kind of contextually, we have to stay in, in, in Matthew chapter 13, but go back just a little bit. Okay, so Matthew 13 begins, okay, if, if you're looking in your Bibles. Matthew 13 begins like this. The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by a lake, such large, large crowds gathered around him that he got up into a boat and sat in it. Well, all stood on shore, and then he told many things in parables. Okay, so he's telling parables over and over again. He tells this parable about a sower, right? He goes out into a field. Mine says that the farmer went out and he sowed his seed, and he scattered his seed along the path, along rocky paths, along weeds, along good soil, and all these things came about, right? And Jesus tells this parable, and people are kind of like, what are you even talking about? Right? I think the disciples have a very valid question here in Matthew 13, verse 10. The, the, the disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? Right? Jesus, like, if you're trying to start a movement, shouldn't you be as clear as humanly possible? Right? Shouldn't you say things in a way that which people aren't asking you more questions so that more people understand, so that more people follow you, so that you have a bigger following, so that you can do more things for the kingdom of God? That's the formula for Jimmy Devine's, you know, method. But I think Jesus' ways are greater than my ways, right? You should nod your heads with me on that one. Jesus' ways are far greater than mine. Why don't you just tell me, Jesus, so that I can believe? It's a very valid question. But Jesus goes and he says an even more interesting response. He's quoting from Isaiah here. And he says, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing but never perceiving for this people's hearts have become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Now, I read this, and, and it's, it's funny that Jesus is quoting Isaiah, and my question is, is he just trying to be sneaky? Is Jesus literally trying to be sneaky and trick these people with these parables that he's teaching? Because again, I go back to saying, Jesus, why don't you just tell us everything point blank so that we can understand? But I find it interesting that he brings up Isaiah chapter 6 because in the context of Isaiah chapter 6, the people of Israel are far from God. The people of Israel all throughout, if you read the Old Testament, it's like this for them. There's a whole lot more valleys than there are peaks for the people of Israel, right? They turn and they're saying, yes, God, you are our God, the God of our fathers. We will praise you. And the next moment they're like, we hate you. We want to build an idol so we can worship that God because you're just not it, God. And so eventually at this point in Isaiah where Isaiah is saying basically the same thing is that the people of Israel are going to be going through it for a while. They're going to go into exile and they're still my people, but they've chosen not to be my people. 
And so in a way, I'm going to close their ears lest I save them once again with my grace and my mercy. The people of Israel had to go through exile. And Jesus quotes this in response to this question by the disciples saying, in the same way, these people, they need to actually understand in order to understand. Are you with me? They need to not just be given everything on a silver platter saying, look at all the things that I've done for you. They need to hear these parables and seek understanding. They need to seek a way for for Jesus to actually enter their hearts. And, you know, we kind of have this similar uh, response at times. I know that I've talked to people this way where they say, I would have faith if only I could see blank. You ever meet these people? You definitely have. I would have faith in Jesus if Jesus personally wrote me a letter addressed to me at my house, and then I would have faith in Jesus. I would have faith in Jesus if he would heal me of this ailment or heal my grandmother of this ailment, then I would have faith in Jesus. And guess what? We're all fools for thinking that way. We're fools for thinking that way because we read story after story. If you, if you just look in Exodus... And only in Exodus, when the people of Israel are, are released from their captors of Egypt. Over and over again, they're literally being led by God by day and by night. And over and over again, they keep saying, if only we went back to Egypt. And over and over again, God says, well, let me make it a little bit better for you. They say, God, I'm hungry. Please do something about it, okay? I'm literally going to make food drop down from the sky. All you have to do is pick it up. And then they say, you know what, God? I'm tired of that food. Can you have a different menu option? He's like, fine. I will give you something else. All you have to do is pick it up. And then still over and over again, these people say, if only we were back in Egypt. We were better when we were enslaved by the Egyptians rather than being out here in the desert following you around, Moses. What's up with this God that you're so enthralled with? And I could go, we could spend an entire, you know, eight months talking about all the ways that the, the people of Israel saw these miracles but chose not to follow God. And then we step into the New Testament and we have people over and over again seeing the miracles that Jesus is performing and they walk away still saying, okay, but what else can you do? Right, we, we have the Pharisees. I love the, the craziness of the logic of the Pharisees at times. Jesus would, would preach an authoritative sermon. He would do this crazy miracle. And then the Pharisees' response is, we got to kill that guy. Some way or somehow. They all saw the miracles. The Israelites, they all saw the miracles. Throughout the history of time, people have seen God show up time and time again. But yet they're like, I still don't believe that. We're the same way. Jesus is saying the same thing. So you ask the question, why parables? I think in a way it's like, You have to understand for yourself in order to understand me. Are you following me? You have to buy in on whatever level that you are buying into. It's like when I tell my son to do something, it's a terrible idea. But when it's his idea, it's an amazing idea, right? We all know these people, right? If I tell you to do something, you're less likely to do it. But if it's your idea, you're more willing to do it. I think through the teachings of Jesus, it's a very similar thing where he's saying, here, A farmer went out into a field to sow some seed. And so the people who are listening, the people who are engaged with what Jesus is saying, they're saying, what else is he talking about? Think about Nicodemus for a second. You guys remember Nicodemus, right? Where he is just so 
enraptured by what Jesus is teaching that he has to go to him. And he says, you know, basically, you are from God. I, in some way, you are different. And then Jesus doesn't say, you're right, you've won the prize. Come be my disciple. No, what does he say? He says, a man must be born again. And then all of a sudden, Nicodemus is like, what do you mean by that? And then Jesus presses him further and further. He doesn't say, hey, Nicodemus, here's all the answers. I have them all baked up, ready for you to prepare and to, 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 to eat and take in. He says, no, you have to understand for yourself what this is like. So Jesus, all through here, we're talking about this treasure verse, but within the context of him teaching through parables over and over again, the disciples are like, hey, man, why are you teaching like this? But he continues to teach that way anyways, because I think people need to understand for themselves. And think about the large crowd for a moment. The large crowd that's gathered to follow Jesus, or excuse me, to listen to Jesus I'm sure there's people who, you know, random people who just see Jesus teaching. Or there's probably Pharisees in that large crowd. There's probably teachers of the law, the scribes, the people who are trying to actively kill Jesus are probably here listening to these parables. I'm sure there's people who are genuinely looking to follow after Jesus. And so he teaches these things in Matthew chapter 13. And eventually the people kind of go away. But yet I find it interesting here that later on, Jesus says this, uh, I, I skipped some, something I didn't put in there. Uh, be with me, for, hold on one second there for us. In uh, Matthew 13, verse 36, this is what the, the disciples ask him. After the large crowd has left and went into the house, the disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And I find that interesting because earlier in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus talks about how the disciples are the people who have this deep knowledge about what Jesus is saying, right? They're the people who are with Jesus all the time. But yet, after the large crowd leaves, maybe after they've had a few times to collect themselves, the disciples are still like, hey, what did that parable mean? Could you tell me more? But you see, I think that's exactly what Jesus wants to happen with these parables, right? Right? He wants this understanding to go from here to here. He wants a heart-deep teaching to where it's not just saying, hey, here's all the answers to the test. No, he's saying, here, how can we take this idea and bring it from your mind down to your heart? That's the purpose of a parable, right? To teach you a story, to teach you a theme that's going to eventually teach you about life and life in the kingdom. And so fast forward to kind of right before our, our, our text for today. This is in Matthew 13, 43. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven finally. The righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The righteous will shine in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, to ear, he, he has ears let them hear. And so we have all these parables. We're talking about the sower. We're talking about the weeds. We have these large crowds. We have the disciples saying, can you please tell me more about this? And then Jesus unfolds this entirely new topic, right, about the kingdom of heaven. And so he's got to tell another story about that, right? He's got to tell another parable to get them to understand what the kingdom of heaven is like. And we're back here at Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one great of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. And so what I take away from this is that Jesus is trying to communicate 
something that's almost incommunicable, right? right? If we go back here, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. What does that mean, Jesus? He's like, okay, the kingdom of, of heaven, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like a treasure hidden in a field. It's kind of like a great pearl. He's trying to communicate something very, very deep about the kingdom of heaven. That this kingdom of heaven is far beyond anything that we can really think or imagine it to be. Right? We can't really describe exactly what heaven is like, but it's kind of like a treasure that you're willing to, willing to risk everything for. This man sells everything to inherit this treasure. And like I said a, f- a few weeks ago, sometimes when I hear these parables, I like to think a little bit too logically about them. I don't know if you fall into this trap as well. I think, okay, what about the landowner? Would you be a little suspicious of this guy doing what he's doing? Would you be a little suspicious of this guy who has sold everything and is now coming to you maybe in beads of sweat running down his face trying to keep a straight face saying, Can I, I'd like to buy your land today, sir. Like, you know what I'm saying? I'm saying I have this kind of image in my mind. What is he thinking, right? What, what is the guy thinking as he's going and selling off every individual thing as he's going to try to inherit this land that has this great treasure? How did he find it? Did he have a metal detector? Probably not. Right, that was supposed to be a joke. There's no electricity, okay? Um, like, I don't know. Like, how did he find this treasure? But the more and more I kind of spin these webs, the more and more I have to say, Jimmy, stop. Because that's not what the parable's about. Let's not get sidetracked, but really think, okay, what is Jesus trying to say in this parable? The kingdom is like a treasure that offers so much peace and so much security that short-term losses far outweigh the eternal, heavenly place that he's talking about. Short-term losses are far outweighed by the eternal gain in receiving this field or receiving this pearl. Because if you think about it, you know, pragmatically, if that's the story, think about what finding that treasure must have felt like. It's like this is absolute security that even if I lose everything, I am certain that what I am going to purchase in this field is going to sustain me far longer than anything I currently have right now. Talk about peace. Talk about security. Talk about the boldness that someone would have to say, I am betting everything on this. I listen to a lot of sports podcasts, and they always make these predictions about, like, bet your mortgage on this team, you know, winning, winning it all. I'm like, never in my life would I ever do that. I am too cheap, right? Um, But it's that security and the thing that he found is so perfect, so secure that anything that he has currently would be far outweighed what he's going to inherit later on. And I believe that's what Jesus is trying to communicate. And so you could say, awesome. And we could be done here. Okay, I could have just read this to you and you could probably nod your head and be like, yes, the kingdom of heaven is just like that, Jimmy. Thank you for reminding me of that. But I think there's more to this that we can take away this morning, okay? Because sometimes, and this is what I was trying to communicate to the kids, because they were so wrapped up in this idea of treasure, right? Of finding this buried treasure and that, that, that heaven is like a treasure. And they're like, yes, heaven is like a treasure. And I want them to walk away thinking that and telling their friends about that. But sometimes we get so caught up in the end that we forget about the day-to-day. We get so goal-oriented that we forget about what's happening every single day of our lives, the things that leading up to the goal that we're pursuing, right? 
Because we all can agree that the security and the peace that, that Jesus talks about in heaven is worth living your life for. But sometimes we forget that we actually have to live a life for it. We get so caught up in the destination that we forget about the journey that it takes. I think about this, um, I, don't, I, I should have put pictures in here, but I used to take a group to Panama, the country, not Florida. Uh, Panama, the country, every summer. I would take anywhere between five and ten students to this rural place in, in, in western Panama. Uh, we, the, first year, the first two years we went, I went with a missionary, and the second year she's like, hey, you're on your own from now on. And so I was like, great, thanks for scaring me to half to death, driving through Panama City, up these mountains with all these teenagers that their parents somehow let me take to a foreign country when I was 22 years old. Yeah, think about that for a second. That's crazy. Um, but we would go to Panama, and I loved this trip because it was so different than any other trip I've ever been on. Uh, we, would, uh, we would do stuff, right? Sometimes we'd have a project to do in the church. Sometimes we would help somebody with their house. But I would say 85% of the trip, maybe like 72% of the trip, was actually just being with the people at the church. A lot of times we'd just be sitting around outside the church, drinking coffee, and sharing life together. And there was a language barrier. Um, at one point, my Spanish was much better than it is today, and I was actually able to have longer conversations with people. Uh, but a lot of times, the conversation ended up being, let's play cards, and we're going to laugh together. We're, and, and also, this is, might be a little gross, but you hired a youth minister to be your preacher. Uh, fart jokes transcend all languages. Okay? <laughs> Because the kids, like, they would just be laughing together. They don't know what either of them are saying, but they're just laughing together. And that was the mission trip, was just being together and sharing community together. And the interesting about, thing about that is that every time I brought a different adult, I would have to warn them and say, okay, there's going to be a lot of times where you think we're doing nothing. And we are, but we're also doing something. Because a lot of times when people go on those trips, the destination is, we're going to build a thousand houses, we're going to do all this work, I'm going to be sore at the end of the week, and I'm going to just be, you know, super uh, committed to finishing a project. A lot of times, our materials wouldn't even show up. We'd be ready to mix concrete, and nothing would show up in the back of the truck that day. And so they'd be like, I guess we're just going to go to the river. Fine by me. Because that was the actual trip, right? The actual trip was just physically being together with people who are a lot of times isolated from the rest of their country, the rest of their brothers and sisters. The trip was about just being together and working together, not necessarily, because trust me, I mixed a lot of concrete, okay? My sweat is baked into the, the infrastructure of this church, okay? We did plenty of work. But like I said, a lot of times the adults, I'd have to tell them, hey, we're just going to be here with these people, and that's most of the trip. And a lot of times, the first couple of days, they'd be so stressed out that they weren't physically doing stuff. But by day three, they kind of got into it. And one of the adults I brought was so excited to come back the next year. He was planning the trip, you know, planning his vacation day so he could come next year. Because I think what he was able to realize and what I was able to realize was that the trip was less about the tangible work, but it was about the journey along the way. It was about going to the river, playing soccer in the middle of the street, doing all these things together that aren't necessarily things to complete, but it's just the journey along the way. And I believe when we read about the kingdom of heaven and being a treasure, 
We're excited about the end. Oh, I can't wait to be with Jesus one day forever. But we forget the day-to-day grind, right, of actually living out that treasure to other people. Living our lives as if there's something waiting for us on the other end. Unfortunately, the, de- the destination can distract us. Because if we just talk about the destination, we're also foregoing the life that Jesus lived on earth. Because Jesus didn't come down and say, everybody get on my bus, we're going to heaven today. I'm fully grown, this bus leaves in a few hours, right? No, his life was leading up in a way to say, hey, there's something else coming along the way. Follow me even after I die. His life is an example of what it means to live a life as if you're living for something else. Not just about the something else, but the day-to-day lifestyle is about something else. And I don't want to be too cliche because this is on every bumper sticker. Everybody wants to talk about the journey over the destination, but it's true. There's a reason why it's cliche, because the journey does matter. And so my question, um, also I forgot to mention this. This is another time that Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you're treasuring one day that treasure of being with God forever your heart is going to work every single day, right? To be about that treasure, to be about bringing other people with you. And so that leads us to our final question here. And we're going to talk about these cards I have up on the, on the wall here in a second. But the question I want you to wrestle with this morning is, where is your treasure and what are you doing about it? Okay, where is your treasure and what are you actually doing about it? We don't want to just talk about it, we want to be about it, right? The very first thing I want us all to consider is to take a card. And these are the cards I'm talking about. There are 36 cards up here. There's more than 36 people in here right now. So I expect all of these to be gone. Okay? I'm saying that very nicely. But I expect all these cards to be gone. On these cards, I'm going to walk down here real quick. On these cards are names. I'm just going to say, because Kylie's in here. This one says, I am praying for Kylie Wagner. Please put this reminder card somewhere it will be seen often. Pray for their family, their school, their friendships, choices to make, and their spiritual journey. And it's a really simple thing to do, right? To take this card and, you know, maybe put it on your, on your mirror where you get ready for work. Or to put it, put it somewhere prominent where you're going to see it. But I want these cards to be whatever you want them to be. If you just pray for them, guess what? You've done a remarkable thing for that person already. Nod your heads if you think prayer is important, okay? Everybody should be going like this, okay? If you just pray for them, that's a great, great thing you've done. But if you take it a step further and see this person as an investment of your time and your energy, I believe the Spirit's going to bless you and that person greatly. Um, Some people last year, we did this last year. I didn't communicate it very well last year. Um, but some people took this as a way to say, hey, what, I'm going to pour into this person. I'm going to, you know, go to their events. I'm going to, you know, maybe get them a present at Christmas time or around their birthday or whatever. You don't have to do that. You do not have to do that. But by taking this card, the bare minimum that you're doing is saying, I'm going to pray for you all year long, and that is an amazing thing. I think this is kind of treasure kingdom work right here. Investing in this person however you want to do it is up to you. Don't come to, Jesus, don't come to Jimmy and say, what are the rules? There are no rules, right? It's whatever you want to do. But I highly encourage you to invest in that person's life in whatever way you think you can possibly do. 
And another thing is, if you walk up here and you say, I don't know who that person is, that's a bad excuse. Because know who does know who that person is? Me. You gotta come talk to me. Michelle's not here today, but if you don't know one of the kids, because there's youth ministry and kids ministry kids up here, come talk to one of us and we'll make sure you know who that kid is, okay? Because I think it's really important as we, and, and if we run out of cards, you're like, Jimmy, there's no more cards. I guess I don't have to do what you said, right? You're wrong. I can, give you a, I can give you a name and you could also invest in that person, okay? But I think this is the kind of treasure work that I was talking about, right? Investing in the people who are, you know, newer in their faith. Investing in where they're going and in what they're doing. So the first thing, take a card, 36, they're going to be gone, right? Okay. The second thing is really, I've already kind of touched on this, but to embody the treasure that you are seeking, right? And I've said this a thousand times. I don't want to be the guy who always repeats himself, but if you don't love Jesus and if you're not about the kingdom today, you're not going to want to be in heaven forever, right? Because, because heaven's not like playing golf all day or eating all your favorite food all day or playing whatever all day. It's eternity with Jesus. And if you do not love Jesus today, you will not want to go to heaven. And so my encouragement to you is to embody the treasure that you are seeking after forever, today. Embody that and allow people to see that as you go through your work, through your school, through whatever it is, to embody that, that hope that you have. Because a lot of people see Christians as wet towels. <laughs> a lot of people see Christians as people who are a bunch, a bunch of do-not people, do not do this, do not do that. When in reality, we have an eternal treasure that we should be sharing with other people. Embody that treasure every single day, and I think the world's going to take notice. So I encourage you to spend some time here in this parable. I encourage you to, you know, if you're one of those disciples saying, what does this parable mean? I think you're on the right track. The disciples asked it. You should be asking it as well. What does this parable mean for me? Let's pray. God, I thank you for this time, and I thank you for giving us the opportunity at the beginning of school year where everybody's, all the students, all the teachers are, are a new beginnings, a new year. And I just pray for every single student, all 36 names who are up here. God, I pray a special blessing over them. And God, you know their hearts, you know their names, you know what they're struggling with. I pray that you do an active, just crazy work in them this school year so that more people come to know the treasure that we're seeking after. God, help us to be intentional about the people that we are pouring into. Help us to be about the treasure that we're seeking after every single day. Since you just let me pray. Amen. If you have any needs, this is the time where we offer you know, an opportunity to come forward. But you don't have to come forward, but you've got to talk to somebody today. If you have anything that you need at all, won't you come while we stand and we sing?